Welcome to the Art of Mathematics. I'm Carol Jacoby, and joining me today is Dana Clahan, who's the professor of mathematics at Fullerton College. Welcome, Dana. Hi, Carol. Thank you for inviting me. Glad to have you. One of the things we've talked about on this podcast in the past, and I think is always interesting, is misconceptions about mathematics and mathematicians. What have you run into in that area? Uh, one of the most popular misconceptions about mathematics is that mathematics is um, a bunch of formulas and rules that you need in order to do other things that are more important. And so part of the work I do is to try to dispel that rumor because it's not true. There are, there are some other misconceptions. I think one of the big ones is that there is a, a popular belief that some people are good in math and other people are not. I've found, you know, just that you can actually grow your talent in mathematics. And a lot of people that you, you may think are extremely talented or smarter than you are in mathematics only appear that way to you. And the reason for that is because they've tried hard problems. Some other misconceptions about mathematics is that uh, all the important mathematics has already been done and there's nothing new left to find out. And that's definitely not true either. There's uh, the, the list of unsolved problems continues to grow faster than we can solve them. Yeah, the unsolved problems have always fascinated me. What's oh, the oldest one, do you think? The, the oldest unsolved problem that I know of is the, uh, and I believe it is the, actually the oldest unsolved uh, math project in history, is to find either find an odd perfect number or to prove that there aren't any such uh, numbers. Most of us know what uh, the divisors of a, of a positive uh, integer are. For example, two only has two divisors, one and two. A perfect number is a positive integer that has the property that when you add up all of its divisors, except the number itself, you get that same number back. So for example, six, and the reason for that is because the divisors of six are one, two, three, and six. And notice if you add one, two, and three, you get six. Uh, I think the next largest one after that is 28. The 28 has divisors one, two, four, seven, and 14, in addition to 28. But if you add one plus two plus four plus seven plus 14, uh, you, you get exactly 28. So 28 is the second smallest perfect number. And so there's a bunch of interesting unsolved problems related to this. One of them is, uh, is are there infinitely many perfect numbers? No one knows the answer to that yet. In fact, I think as, as of a couple of years ago, there have only been 54 perfect numbers found so far. Uh, so that's an interesting question. Can you do some cute programming to find out uh, what the 55th perfect number is. I'm sure there's one out there. It's probably humongous. Uh, and it's going to take a while to find that number. But so there's two problems there. Are there infinitely many of them? And then uh, an easier problem is what's the next biggest one that hasn't been found yet? And the oldest unsolved problem is it, uh, all these perfect numbers that they found so far are even. They have a, either a two, four, six, eight, or a zero as the last digit. No one's found, none of the 54 num, uh, perfect numbers that have been found so far are odd. And so the oldest unsolved problem is to determine whether there is an odd perfect number or not. 
So is there one or can you prove that there isn't one uh, without obviously checking them all because you would die before you ever finished that job? So that would require some theory probably to prove that uh, there is no such number. But so that's sort of up in the air and that's really the oldest unsolved problem right now. How old is it? Do you have any idea? Um, I believe that it's been open since 2000 BC. I believe that, that wow. uh, yeah, it's been, it's been open for quite a while. So it's, it's, it's the Greeks were new. They knew about perfect numbers and some mathemat Greek mathematicians actually started playing around with them. I think, uh, at one point they got the first few right, but then they made a mistake. And then uh, the, the numbers that they thought that were perfect after that were not correct. And then that was later corrected. Um, and so now, yeah, that remains the, the, uh, the most ancient unsolved problem at this point. So it's interesting. There's a, there are many other problems that are, uh, that are more, uh, maybe prestigious to work on than this one, but I've, I've always thought this was interesting since I started talking to students about unsolved problems like this, that there isn't really a whole lot of attention being paid to that problem. It's, it's the oldest one, and I don't know a whole lot of people that are working on it. What's the most famous unsolved problem, would you say? There are quite a few there, you know, it's, it's up for debate, of course. Uh, anything that I say on that is up for debate, but I think most mathematicians would probably uh, point to the Riemann hypothesis as the, the most famous unsolved problem right now. That problem is based on um, Bernard Riemann, the person who invented the Riemann integral and in calculus, gave a lecture in 1859 to the International Congress of Mathematicians. And in the talk, he described a formula that can be used to tell you how many primes are less than or equal to a given number. And that has a tremendous applications. For example, uh, you could use it to break current encryption methods and cybersecurity. So DARPA, the men in black, they, this is one of their projects. They, they actually fund teams to work on this, uh, on this problem. Obviously, the first country who solves the problem is going to have an advantage. So, so the problem itself is to prove that his formula is exactly correct. So far, there's a theorem called the prime number theorem that says that his, his formula is asymptotically correct. In other words, it becomes more and more accurate as the, as the numbers get larger and larger that you try. What about some of the problems you've done with your students? I'm just fascinated with the thought of undergraduates struggling with these unsolved problems? Well, we've, um, at, at Fullerton College, we've, we've been running a colloquium for about 12, about 12 years now. And we meet once a week and the students and I discuss some unsolved problem. We've had guest speakers. In fact, um, Celine Watson from Cal State Long Beach came and gave a talk. Uh, we've had a lot of speakers from universities come and it's really fascinating for the students. So what we tend to do over at Fullerton is introduce the problems to students and encourage them to write up their attempts to solve the problems. I've assigned quite a, vari a variety of different problems. Some are very, some problems are very easy to state. For example, another problem is, can you, can you prove that there are infinitely many pairs of primes that are exactly two apart from each other? For example, three and five are two apart from each other and they're both prime. Five and seven are, 11 and 13 are, and then 17 and 19 are. But then what happens is as you go out further and further, it starts getting harder and harder to find these pairs of primes that are two 
uh, apart from each other. I've had other students work on more like applied things. For example, there are some faculty at UCI, John Lowengrub, for example, who's uh, an expert in uh, the mathematics of cancer modeling. And we've had uh, we've had speakers come over. Don Sari from UCI has also given us uh, talks about about dynamical systems. For example, the you know the orbits of planets, or using uh, how things change to um, model things like schizophrenia and that sort of thing. So we tried to like look at a variety of problems, and I usually give every student their own problem, and then we work together on a central problem. The central problem that we've been working on this summer, we have the the Pacific Summer Open Math Seminar um, at Fullerton College. We've been running it just about every year. Uh, we have seven students working in that seminar now. And the problem that we got interested in is uh, that's unsolved is, are there infinitely many positive integers n that are strictly less than their tangent? And what I mean by tangent is, if you were to start at the point one zero on the unit circle, uh, centered at zero, zero, and travel along counterclockwise for a distance of n units, so for example, one unit, is it the case that that number one is strictly less than what you get if you take the, the coordinates of the point that you end up with at? So like if I start at the point one zero and I go counterclockwise, I'll end up at some point X comma Y. And then if I divide uh, Y by X, that's the tangent of the, of the number one. And it turns out that the tangent of one is bigger than one. But then what, you, what happens is as you try like two and three and so on, that doesn't work anymore. Tangent ends up being smaller. And as, as you try bigger and bigger values for n, it gets harder and harder to find n's for which tangent of n is larger than n itself. And so there's two questions associated with that. One is, are there infinitely many of these positive integers n that have this, that satisfy this inequality? Tangent of n is bigger than n. Or are there finitely many and they've, they've found 16 so far. There's an online encyclopedia of uh, integer sequences. There are many of these sequences of mathematical objects that people want to know, okay, what are the next terms to, to this sequence? And this is one of them. So far, there, there have been 16 of these numbers found. One is the first number on the list. The biggest number they've found that satisfy this is the number Four two eight five seven nine seven three eight seven zero six one eight two five seven four seven six four six zero one three. Really? And that probably, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then, then the computations become an issue because you, when you try to use, when you do programming, you're going to have round off error when you take the tangent. And so that's been pretty interesting to try to. So, like for example, today we have a paper going now. And today I just challenged the students to, we know that tangent, you know, from their list, the tangent of one is bigger than one. And we, we can calculate it, just stick it into Google, you know, Google calculator, any calculator of your choice, or just use Python or whatever you want. But what I challenge the students to do is, okay, now prove that that answer is correct. Prove that tangent one is actually bigger than one analytically. And let's try to see if we can do that. Then you can sort of get an idea of how to start looking at the computations when the numbers start getting bigger. The next one after one, it's interesting. You don't get another value that works until you get to 260,515. So the tangent of 260,515 is bigger than 
260,515, but there are no numbers between one and that number that satisfy that inequality, which is, you know, kind of a surprise, right? You would think that uh, these numbers would be common, but but they're hard to find. And one thing I'm telling the students is, you know, we may not necessarily solve this problem, but let's dig into it and see if first we can duplicate what other people have done, figure out like, why do we know that their result is correct? And some interesting things have happened because I had a student uh, working on this last semester and she got, she was able to agree with the online um, encyclopedia of integer sequences up to, I think maybe the 12th term. And then after that, she, she got a different answer than they did. So that's an interesting question is, okay, why, why do we get a different answer? I'm sure we're going to learn a lot from that. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. So this is a very interesting problem. And it turns out the world of mathematics has really weird mystical connections sometimes. It turns out that one of the mathematicians who wrote uh, wrote a paper on a result that's sort of a weaker result than this, it turns out that some mathematicians proved that, that there are infinitely many positive integers that satisfy the inequality, the absolute value of tangent of n is bigger than n over four. This problem was originally proposed by David Bellamy and Felix Lezebnik over on the East Coast. And then together with Jeffrey Ligarius, they were able to, to obtain a partial result. And it turns out though that Jeffrey Ligarius also happens to be the same person who proved that the Riemann hypothesis is equivalent to a simple inequality involving the divisors of a positive integer. So uh, as you can imagine, when I found this problem and I saw his name on there, of course, I've always been interested in the Riemann hypothesis, but I'm trying to get into his head to say, well, why why did he get interested in this problem? There's something going on there. (laughs) Uh So uh, it's it's a fun problem to, to chew on. Well, this is all very exciting. How are your students reacting to this? Are they blown away by some of these problems? I would be. I would have been when I was an undergrad. Oh, you know, you know, when I when I was a student, we would just take our classes. Uh, I went to Biola University, and it was a small school. They didn't really have enough students to have a full-on colloquium. But then when I got to Cal State Long Beach, that's when I got my first exposure at Cal State Long Beach to seminar and colloquia talks, and that's when I really started realizing, oh, math has all these. Uh, now I know what university professors do uh, in mathematics. They they work on these unsolved problems. And so that was my first exposure to that. So then I, when I was a postdoc at Indiana, there were um, mentors that were uh, working with lots of students in, in groups. And I just, I got inspired by that. So I started doing the same thing over at Fullerton. And it, it was kind of, yeah, it's kind of an eye opener to them because they tend to think of mathematics as just some fixed thing that is in a textbook and it never changes and there's nothing new going on. So when you, when we've been holding these seminars and colloquia, uh, we get a lot of students that are coming on their own. They're not coming for extra credit or anything like that. They're coming because they're interested and they're just, they're very surprised to find that this is the interesting side of mathematics that was not presented to them in school. And so I think it's a really important thing for more people to be aware, for more students to be aware of the creative side of mathematics, the scientific side of it, rather than just the, the practical side of it, which is a very small part of mathematics and the most probably the most uninteresting uh, to someone like me who's, who is more of a pure mathematician. Uh, I do like applied mathematics, don't get me wrong, 
but uh, I got into mathematics because of, of pure mathematics. So yeah, they're, they're very excited to, to see this stuff. And it sounds like you're getting some students involved in, a, the, in pure math who wouldn't otherwise. Oh yeah. It's really interesting. Before we started this, it would have been unheard of for uh, at my school, at least I, I didn't know of any students who were getting masters or PhDs for especially PhDs. We had a few students getting master's degrees that would come out of Fullerton, but now just about every year uh, we're having, you know, one or two students graduate with either a PhD in math or a doctoral degree in something else into grad school, but about, and so that's, that's really exciting to see community college students going all the way from a community college up to a PhD. That's fantastic. That's unheard of. Oh, the students are, are really fantastic. I'm really inspired by what you're doing, and I'm excited. I'm excited for your students, and I think this is a really wonderful way to get people interested in pure math. Oh, I, I've had a lot of fun doing it. It's probably the most fun uh, part of teaching for me, and I've, I've in my classes, I use these uh, results that we have, too, uh, just trying to make aware, people aware during regular classes uh, of the creative side of mathematics, because it it just makes it a lot easier to study when you're interested. And the most interesting things to study are the things that are unknown. You know, my dream would be for every student to adopt some unsolved problem and make it their, their lifetime problem that they play around with when they're, you know, waiting outside the grocery store and grandpa is going inside to get his stuff and coming back out and they're waiting in the car, just break the problem out and think about it for a little bit and chew on it and see if you can get somewhere. Uh, I think it's a it's a great habit. You know, working on hard mathematics will keep your brain alive for a lot longer. Mm -hmm. And I think most people don't realize that that's available. That's something that somebody could do. Well, this has been very interesting and very inspiring. And I wish you all the best and your students all the best. Thank you, Dana, for coming and for talking to us and telling us about your program. Thank you very much, Carol. It's great talking to you. We'd love to hear from you. If you have something you'd like to share on the air or a suggestion for a guest for a future show, leave a voice message at anchor.fm slash theartofmathematics with hyphens or email me at cjacoby at jacobyconsulting.com. See you next month. Thanks for listening. Mm -hmm.